0: There's a common thread with successful individuals. They've worked hard, but they've also made hundreds, if not thousands of mistakes. What if you could learn from their mistakes without any consequences? What if you could hear from talented individuals who have achieved great success in their given field? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to shorten your learning curve, learn from the best, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. I'm your host, Mike Perry. And welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Today I'm here with Chris Tierney. Now, Chris Tierney was a professional soccer player for the New England Revolution. He played 11 seasons with the Revolution. He had 273 career appearances for the Revolution, and he was also a 2015 MLS All-Star. Now, Chris grew up playing club soccer for the Boston Bolts, which is a pretty well-known club team based out of Massachusetts. He played high school soccer at Nobles and Greeno, and then he went on to play collegiate soccer at the University of Virginia. Currently, Chris is back working with the Revolution, And his role is the player recruitment manager. He's basically trying to find the best players from around the world to bring into the club. Now, in today's podcast, we're going to talk about his experience, his background, the mentality, his work ethic, all of the things that made him successful in professional soccer. So if you are a young athlete, specifically a soccer player, that's looking for a little bit of a game plan or a roadmap, you don't want to miss this episode. Stay tuned here comes chris okay so we are here with christine chris how you doing buddy i'm doing well mike thanks awesome hey good to have you so um you know we were actually recording a few minutes earlier and you had mentioned you're you're doing what you can to stay busy getting into a little tiger king watching some nonsense here and there um but uh how's everything else going in general you staying healthy you still exercise and what have you been up to
1: yeah, I am. I mean, I was actually planning on running uh Boston this year. So, planning back get the chance to do it, but you know, I've been been training and running 40-50 mile weeks um up sort of after I I retired from playing itself. So, you know, I have that competitive edge, so I wanted to see I do an American run, but um, it's getting pushed to September with you know, hopefully I'll get a chance to run in September, who knows, we'll see, but um, that's been good, it's been keeping me busy, so it's been, it's been fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what you need, more running, right, you spent the last uh, 20 years running around a soccer field, and you figured, hey, why, why not run some more?
1: Yeah, my hips and knees didn't pay for it enough, I figured, why not just double down and yeah, just, see if I can make it worse.
0: Just speed up that replacement process and get it nicer <laughs> than later, right? Yeah,
1: exactly, yeah. <laughs>
0: So we were talking about this before. I've known you for about 20 years. Um, I, I think I started working with you as your, as your strength coach or one of your strength coaches when you were in high school. And then when you were coming uh, home in the summers for, uh, from college at UVA, I had the opportunity to work with you. And then once you, uh, once you got drafted, um, I think we probably spent what three or four years working together as well, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'd come to you and you know, you'd basically put together my entire off season program. Um, MLS wasn't where it is now so it's not like we had really full-time strength conditioning coaches so we always relied on people like yourselves who were you know willing trainers to put together programs for us so yeah you would always kick my butt through the entire offseason which I wasn't always uh, you know fond of but I was always ready to go in preseason that's for sure.
0: Yeah, we had a good crew. It was um I was trying to think of all the guys that we had consistently. It was you. Um we had Sam Brill, we had Mike Vecito. Um, who else was with us?
1: I think Mike Videra might Mike have been in there a little bit. Yeah. He was yeah, there. Some good players, yeah.
0: And then did we have someone else? I thought we had a few guys that popped in here and there, but I remember uh <clears throat> doing our strength and conditioning and then Fridays we'd go and just play like 3v3 and basically beat the hell out of each other.
1: <laughs> yeah see if we could get injured before the season started.
0: That was a brilliant idea looking back at it. I'm like, yeah. the, now I'm looking, I would never ever do that, but uh, <laughs> it is what it is. So, um, so you've been playing soccer pretty much your whole life, right? I mean, you started at the youth level and um, at what age, do you remember you started playing club soccer for the Bolts?
1: Yeah, I started Bolts U11s. Um, Up until then, you know, I'd played town soccer. I actually grew up playing baseball more than any other sport. Um, But once I got into bolts, that started to take over slowly. I didn't really completely specialize in soccer until probably, um, it was probably my ninth year when I kind of pushed everything else aside and said, okay, this is my sport I want to go for. But I grew up playing all different sports. I ski raced. um, I played baseball. um, So... Yeah, I mean, I've played soccer as long as I can remember, but I really didn't lock in on soccer until, you know, ninth grade or so.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's interesting that you say that because these days so many people want to specialize early. And, and, and we see it in soccer, we see it in basketball, AAU, we see it in ice hockey. And um, what are your thoughts on, you know, these soccer players at age 10 or 11 saying, hey, my goal is to, you know, to play pro. I mean, give me some feedback on that. What are your thoughts? Yeah,
1: it's it's a debate that's been going for a while. I mean, I think if you look at the top top level players in world soccer and U.S. soccer, it's very rare that you find that didn't start specializing when they were super young. So, um, you know, I, I do think you know it's a it's a function of repetition. So, the more training you get in a specific sport, the better that you're going to be at that. But at the same time, you know, I've personally Played with so many guys that specialized early, seen so many players come through that specialized early that burn, and I just don't think that they were as good, rounded, as well-rounded athletes as as athletes that I've seen that played multiple sports. And um, you know, I think the trend is getting better in the U.S., where uh, players that grew up playing a bunch of different sports get better coaching a little bit later in their development and still have a chance to make it top level. So, you know, it's a debate that's ongoing. And will be for a long time. But I don't think it's necessarily uh, crucial that you specialize young. I think you have to keep that fire burning. You have to be sure that the kid loves the sport, number one. I mean, if the kid isn't passionate about playing the sport, it's not going to work out. But beyond that, I definitely don't think it hurts. In fact, I think it helps to, to, you know, part in a variety of sports.
0: Yeah, you just develop different skill sets when you play different sports. And I always joke because I, you know, I, I still work with a lot of soccer players and, you know, I laugh and like, hey, do me a favor, throw this baseball and you watch them throw baseball and then you can tell they've never thrown a baseball more than like five times in their life. And it just, yeah, it's just exactly. the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. So, but it, it's, you know, the early specialization thing is it's an ongoing conversation because from a, from a, from a health and wellness standpoint, we know that specializing too early is just bad. But on the flip side, if you want to make that decision to play anything at a high, high level, you have to kind of make that decision early. And it's it's just part of it. There's not too many people that are going to be like 20 going, hmm, maybe I'll try pro soccer. Like right. they've already had that in their minds um, probably uh, at high school and, and maybe even later in middle school. So, no, it's, it's funny. I didn't know that you played baseball. I knew that you skied. But, uh, but yeah. So, all right. So you played at Nobles. uh you know, obviously, you did quite well there. You played club ball. Um, actually, at this point, could you do both? You could still play high school and club, right?
1: Yeah, it was it was before the uh, the Development Academy came along, which is actually – they just canceled Development Academy. But for the last 15 years or so, um, youth soccer players, if you're playing for a Development Academy team, means means you can't play if you're at high school, which wasn't the case when I was coming up. But um, – but yeah, you could still do both at the time, which I was, I mean, high school is great because you get to play with your friends and the level is definitely not as high. So, you know, I think there's more better players coming out now than there was uh, when I was coming through as a result of that. But at the same time, playing at Nobles was great. I, mean, I have some of my best friend at Nobles and I still had a chance to play at a decent level in club too. So so it worked out.
0: Well, yeah, you had the best of both worlds and, and you know, nothing's better than the memories you're making with your your buddies, you know, just... You know just after school and doing those things it's a lot of fun and that's it's funny every fall i kind of get this feeling like oh man the fall like this is this is a good time of year this is time to play soccer and it's um, the best. it really is and uh and you know speaking of of the bolts you had some studs on your teams back in the day didn't you
1: yeah so like name
0: name, name some of the guys that people would recognize if they've been following um the mls
1: Yeah. So, I mean, just on my team alone in my own age group was, well, we had Charlie Davies up top who, you know, went on to play at BC, uh, had a long career in Europe uh, before he had a big injury in a car accident, unfortunately, but recovered from that, came back and actually ended up playing with him in New England for a while. Um, We had Sam Brill who played at college and played for the revolution as well. We had Mike Videro who had a long Duke and then uh, played in the MLS Uh, we had Ryan Maduro who played at Providence, played in the MLS. So from our team, I think there were four guys that went on to play in the MLS, which is, I mean, almost unheard of. Um, and Mike Ficito, as well as another one who played at Harvard university and then, uh, played for many teams, the MLS. So we had, we had quite a score.
0: Yeah, no, Mike was, uh, I didn't know that Mike played bolts with you. I knew that, um, he was, he actually played at Brooks, right? Wasn't he a Brooks guy?
1: Yeah. Charlie Davies and Mike Vecito played at Brooks and Mike Videre and myself at a, at Noble. So we had a pretty good rivalry there.
0: Yeah. I'm sure you guys had lots of fun trying to beat the hell out of one another. Yeah, exactly. Uh, at least you guys aren't competitive, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyways, so you get done with, with high school ball, you, uh, you're done playing club and then you decide, Hey, I'm going to go to the university of Virginia. And it wasn't the normal way you would think that, Hey, you know, Chris He played at UVA, he played in the MLS, he definitely got recruited. Tell us about your experience at UVA.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really wasn't all that heavily recruited out of high school. I mean, uh, I mean, I was recruited, you know, but but not at a super high level. You know, I wasn't getting full ride offers to D1 schools. In fact, I ended up actually walking on at UVA. Um, you know, I thought I was most likely going to go to like a NESCAC school or you know, try to get into an Ivy League school with you know, no disrespect to those schools. It's a good level of soccer. You know, those are Division One programs. NSCAX are uh, D three, but it's still a good level. Um, but you know, I wanted to challenge myself, highest possible level I could get into, which at the time was UVA, and they said, uh, "Listen, you you know, you've done okay, so we'd love to have you on the team if you're willing to come and try out for us." And um And I said, absolutely. You know, you can't say no to an opportunity like that, a program like UVA. So, um, you know, I I worked with with you and other coaches to get myself as fit as I possibly could. And I made sure I made a good impression.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, So going in, like you knew that, hey, I'm a walk on like, what was your mindset? Like, were you in there going, listen, I can I can play with these guys. I'm going to go and I'm going to show them, you know, that I belong is like talk about the mentality going in as a guy as a walk-on because it's very different than a guy that was a number one recruit with a full ride. So what was your mindset going in?
1: Yeah. My, my mindset was that, you know, I have to do something to make sure that I set myself apart from the other players I'm coming in with who were all, like you said, more highly recruited, more highly touted players than I was. So the first thing I did was I knew going in, we were going to have this testing. You know, it's like, pretty much standard at every D1 program, every college soccer program. And that's always the marker of any player when they come in, in my opinion, is how serious is this guy? How dedicated is this guy? So I made it a mission that I'm going to prove that I'm the most fit. It's the only thing I could control going in. You know, I didn't have a huge resume going in. So I went in there and uh, made sure I crushed the fitness test. And that's, that's what I did. And you know, I think that set me apart early on, the coaches saying, wow, this kid, you know, he's, he's here to, to play. You know, it's all business and he works hard. And there's always a spot in for, for a guy who's willing to, to you know, himself into the ground.
0: Yeah. And, and speaking of conditioning, you know, I, I've shoot, I designed a lot of those workouts that you did. I've, I've done a lot of those workouts you did. Um, I've taken a lot of that information and even applied it to some of the guys that I work with now. And um, you know, conditioning is one of those things. It's to really push yourself physically, but also mentally through those, those points of the workout. There's, they, they just suck. It's um it's it's vomit inducing your legs feel like crap your body wants to shut down i mean people don't realize that like the human body can take a pretty good beating and and still come out on the other end but um there's this mentality when it comes to conditioning that like i see people talking about overtraining and i'm like don't give me that like i've yeah. have rarely seen people overtrain and i've i've trained some pretty fit guys and i just think that it's an excuse for a lot of people to not work hard oh i got a recovery uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I got to do this tomorrow, so I can't train hard today. It's just like, dude, we weren't using sleep trackers. We weren't looking at our phone every morning going, should I train or not train? It was like, it was not even an option to not go out and train. You just did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> these, uh, I agree with you. Now, I see a lot of the sports science stuff these days, and it seems like everyone's more concerned about uh, finding how much time they should be taking off as opposed to how much time they should be training how they should be recovering, not how they should be pushing it. The, the human body is willing to take a, a whole lot of stress. You know, it's whenever I train conditioning is 110% balls to the wall because you're putting that in the bank. And the more you do it, the more you realize that you're not made of glass, you know, you're not going to die. It's going to hurt. It's going to suck for five, 10 minutes, you know, while you're doing it five, 10 minutes after, and then you're going to be okay. So it's like every time I would go out and do these conditioning workouts that were hell. I mean, there, the, there's no getting around it. There's no good way to do conditioning that's going to make it easier. It, there's a certain level of suck that has to be reached to, you know, make any sort of progress in conditioning. And, and for me, it was just, you know, you, you had to get over that, that ceiling where, you know, your body's telling you, that's it, you know, we're, we're out, we want to quit. And, and you have to have the mental fortitude to, to tell your body to shut up and that you're gonna be fine and to get
0: through it. Yeah, especially too. I mean, there's, uh, there's just certain levels of technique in the game and then there's certain levels of conditioning, right? And um, <clears throat> depending on what position you play or, or your style of play, you can use that conditioning to your benefit and you can, you can run people in the, into the ground and you playing on the left flank and playing on the you know, left back position. I mean, you're up and down that sideline Uh, every single, you know, it seems like you're just basically running suicides. Right. Um, but for that position, like you can't, you can't be, I mean, it's great to have technique. Don't get me wrong, but you can't just be all technique and no, and no gas tank. It just will not work. You know, if you're a center midi that can hold and and distribute balls real well and, and learn how to manage your way through that. But, um, it's, it's one of those things, man. and, And I see it I even see it now with, uh, with some of the guys that I work with professional and professional MMA, it's just, you have to, you know, you have to push through it. And I think most people will never hit their true potential when it comes to conditioning because, um, for some reason they, they quit or they get uncomfortable or this and that. But I mean, so many people just mail it in and that drives me bananas because again, like you said, the human body will take an absolute beating Mm. and you can come out on the other side. It's just going to suck for a little bit.
1: And and your body adapts. I mean, for the first, I mean, every time I come to you in the off season, we started training, I would say there's no way I'm going to be able to train like this for the whole off season. Cause after the first two days, it's like you can barely walk to your car after the session, you wake up the next morning and you're like, there's no way. Then we get in there, you get warmed up and you're okay. And you go again. It's just getting yourself in a mindset where you're willing to, you know, for me, it was, I always had to think of something that pissed me off. (laughs) <laughs> and I had to you know something that made me mad because you know when you have those moments of rage and you're just like You know you could punch a wall. You almost seem seem impervious to pain because you know, you're just so Like you have a level of adrenaline So I always had to make myself get in that mind state when I was really pushing it in like in a conditioning session
0: Yeah, no <clears throat> I think that it's definitely a mindset scenario, but it's also just a competitive thing. Like, um, I remember just playing, you know, some small sided games with you and all the the silly things we do, soccer, tennis, and, uh, you hate losing. Yeah. Like you are a sore loser, not in a bad way because I'm a sore loser too. I hate losing. I can play Mario Kart and like want to smash the remote because I lost. Like, (laughs) and I actually think that some of the most successful athletes are sore losers and, and not in a bad way. They just hate losing. Like it's completely unacceptable. Yeah. Would you say that's accurate for you? Oh,
1: hundred percent. I mean, I can think about like, when I look back over my career and I played in a lot of big games, you know, won a lot of big games, but the, the games that stick with me most are the bad losses. You know, it's like losses affected me so much worse than any win ever could for whatever reason. And I think that's what gave me motivation to continue and keep going and play as many games as I did and play for as long as I did because I always felt like I had to put a loss right, put a bad performance right. You know, there are always things that I felt I could improve better at. And You know, it's that mentality of never being satisfied with, you know, winning one game or a good season or, you know, a good play or whatever it is. It's, you know, using the negative aspects of sports to push you on and you know really try to motivate you to do better
0: yeah i mean conditioning and, and 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 take you know talking about conditioning but talking about wins and losses um again i i work with a bunch of fighters and they fight maybe four times a year so i mean you lose one of those um and you know that's losing 25 percent of your of your matches or your games like it's it's significant and there's a mm-hmm. lot on the table and uh, again i i totally agree with you you learn more from losing than you ever do winning because if you're used to winning a lot it becomes like almost like this is easy. Right. And I remember playing early club ball in some clubs that were just absolute rubbish. Right. And I hated losing. So I was just like, I was never the most technical guy, but I could work harder than people and I could use my strength and my conditioning to get me through and to get to that higher level. But it was never because I was highly technical and, um, you know, that's just a big part of it. Like the, the, the strength and the the conditioning component of playing, um, you can always work harder. Like soccer is a sport where you can literally just work harder and get things done. I'm not saying working harder is the only answer. Cause obviously you have to make decisions and you have to be smart with it, but you know, sometimes you just got to go put someone, someone on their ass and, and just get up and do it again.
1: Yeah, um, no, that's the baseline at every level. And, you know, like I thought that that would change kind of when I got to the higher levels, like you know, when I played club soccer and even college soccer, there were always, you know, what we call goons in soccer, you know, players who aren't as skilled, but are just nightmares to play against. And the higher level I got, you know, once I got into the league and, you know, the level of MLS has improved so much, even from when I first got in the league to where it is now. In the last few years of my career, when, you know, the level was really, really high there's always players in the other team that are less skilled. You know, the the levels still exist in terms of there's guys on the team who you know are less skilled, but those guys are in the team for a reason, and they're in the team because they're, you know, these players who are just an absolute nightmare to play against. And there's something to that. I mean, that seems like the conditioning, the competitive side of the game is something that you can control 100% of that. You know, you can be difficult to play against, or you can be easy to play against. You can be fit, or you can not be fit. Develop skills; these are things that you can you, know, you can work on yourself. These aren't God-given talents. These are things that that are up to those players to adapt and and take on on their own.
0: Yeah, and and it's it's funny you say that because um, I looked at my you know I take a look at my soccer career, and even the sports that I'm in now with jujitsu, I'm I've never been the most talented guy, and. I I never will be, but if I'm going to compete against you, I'm going to do everything in my power to be as obnoxious and to be as persistent and just be a giant pain in the ass. Yeah. And and honestly, that's, and and that's, that's what kept me going. It wasn't because I had the best touch or the best feet and anything I do, it wasn't because I was skilled. It's just like, I'm just going to work harder than you and I'm going to be so obnoxious that you're not going to want to play against me. You're going to quit.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to that. And, and like I said, I thought that would disappear at the higher levels, and it it doesn't. I mean, the it changes in terms of you have to have a base level of talent that's pretty high to play at the highest level. But, you know, that being hard to play against thing, being competitive thing, it never goes away.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, if you were to uh, talk to a group of high school athletes that are just getting ready to go into college right now, and you were going to give them a little talk about the importance of – you know, strength and conditioning, what would you tell them? Like, what feedback would you give them?
1: I mean, I would basically say, you know, what it was for me, which is a way to distinguish yourself from other players. You know, there's, I mean, if you're going, if you're a high school player or you're going to be a college athlete, you know, you're there for a reason. You're, at, you're, you're within a certain range of skill level that, you know, has allowed you to play at that level. And so the question is, what are the small variables you can change to push yourself up towards the you know the upper, the upper range of that level? And and for me, it's always things that you can control. It's being the most fit. It's being, uh, it's showing up on time. It's being a good teammate. Um, you know, it's it's all these things that you can control. It's in your hands. These aren't things that you're born with or not. These are things that you can control and you can work on as an individual when, when other people aren't looking.
0: Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like the, the technique of players in the U S is definitely getting better. Um, I just don't know. Cause I, again, I'm not really working with a ton of high level athletes right now with soccer. At least I feel like the technical level of of players these days is ridiculous. You see these young kids and they can do incredible things, but I, it seems to me, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, that the, the physicality, the style of just wanting to be the fastest, wanting to be the fittest, and wanting to be the strongest has almost taken a back seat. Would you say it's accurate?
1: I think so. Yeah. I mean, these things tend to go in, in ebbs and flows, right? So, you, you know, you used to look at American players have a reputation across the world from World Cup teams in the 90s and early 2000s. The defining characteristics of American players were those things that you're talking about. So it's fitness, competitiveness, uh, toughness, um, direct play. You know, U.S. teams that you'd go watch, you know, old Bruce Arena teams in the U.S., they weren't known for like intricate passing, soccer, technical players. They were known for, you know, the American qualities that people, you know, associate with Americans, which is being super athletic, super competitive. Uh, driven, hard to play against. Those were the characteristics that defined American soccer players. And then, you know, we had a, a series of years where leadership changed in the country and the soccer landscape. And, uh, you know, we kind of tried to adapt to European model work, which is more technique based because they've been around longer and, um, you know, have their players don't go to school, they don't go to high school, they don't go to college, so they have more time to work on technique. And um, I think we sort of got away from the things that made American soccer players unique on the global landscape. And, um, and I think you did lose some of that competitiveness. You lost some of that, that fight and that desire that defined American players. But I think it's getting to the point now where it's starting to add back the other way. So I think, you know, it's good to see, uh, you know, myself working with youth players a lot and, you know, still being involved in the game. I think you can see things starting to switch back where, uh, you know, players are, I think for a while, we were a little bit too concerned about the technical side and now we're getting back realizing that those things that made us good before are things that we shouldn't lose as, as an identity of an American player.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that you're going to have your gifted athletes and you're going to have these young kids that just have incredible ball skills, but at a certain level, everybody's going to be strong. Everybody's going to be fast. So you can't bank on one trait. Right. Um, And and same goes for the really athletic guy. That's a weight room hero, right. That can, you know, run fast, that can condition, that can lift a ton of weights. Like maybe that guy just needs to work on his touch. And I think if you're going to be successful in any sport, you have to be able to step back and truly understand and be aware of what you need to work on and Mm. what your strengths and your weaknesses are. I think a lot of people are afraid to admit what they suck at and um, like, if you're a highly technical athlete, I don't care what sport it is, but you don't have a gas tank or you're as weak as a kitten, you're not gonna go as far as you can. So yeah. I think having self-awareness, but also having coaches or people around you that are—they're they're not gonna bullshit you. They're gonna be like, listen, like, you know, this is what you need to work on. And I feel like I look at it as filling buckets. You just need to make sure that you're filling each bucket or you even understand what bucket needs to be filled. And that's just a big part of, you know, self-awareness and analyzing things is you need, you need a little bit of everything. And um, you know, especially with the guys that I'm working with now in, in mixed martial arts, it's like, it's so competitive because, you know, here you have these guys, you've got to be good at striking, you've got to be good at wrestling, you've got to be good at jujitsu, mm. but you have to have a gas tank. Cause if you don't, that guy's, he's literally trying to knock you out, break your arm, break your leg. And it's just like, if you leave, if you leave those, those traits alone by themselves and you don't develop them, you're going to be screwed. So it's, um, it's just so interesting because literally every sport is is evolving in the same way, but there's always going to be this, this checks and balances of what you need to focus on. Um, yeah. And
1: it's like in combat sports, the stakes are so high. I mean, you really can't afford to, I mean, in soccer, it's like, we always talk about it. Players always train to their strengths. Right. So it's like I things that I did well when I was a player where I was left footed I could strike a ball really well. I could cross a ball really well, pass and take free kicks. And you'd find yourself just working on your strengths. You know, that's when you go train, you want to have a good session and feel good about yourself. So I'd take, you know, 30 left-footed free kicks and continue to bang them in. But it wasn't helping me improve and and make my game more well-rounded. So it wasn't until I got a higher level of coaching where I realized that training should be focused on, like you said, putting water into all those buckets to make yourself a more rounded athlete. But I think so often you see people just training to their strengths and that's a real problem, especially if you're, if you're in a combat sport, as I can imagine.
0: Yeah. Was there any specific coach or any specific scenarios that made you aware of like, wow, I need to work on this or I need to do this? Do you have anything that, that sticks out in your mind that you're like, oh man, like that was a conversation that I needed, but I didn't really want to hear initially.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there was, there was a time, uh, before I left for college where our bolts team, which, you know, had a bunch of those top level players that I mentioned before, we were at a tournament in, in, uh, at the Disney showcase in Florida and we're feeling good about ourselves. We had won a game and, um, you know, we were kind of screwing around towards the end of the game and, our coach who went on to be a coach in MLS for many years, my coach for a while, Paul Mariner, um, he sat us down and he said, you know, if you guys want to be average uh, college players or, you know, you think you're big time because you're in here doing well at a Disney show tournament when you're 18, like you guys have another thing coming. And didn't say anything, you know, crazy, but it was just a good check-in point where, you know – you need perspective. You know, the, there's times in a sporting career, especially when you're young, think, you know, winning this certain tournament is going to, you know, be the end-all, be-all or is going to set you on a certain path. And it's just not the case. So you know, he was saying, basically, if, if you want to take this game seriously, you can't come to these tournaments and think you're too good for everyone and not do your best, basically, is what he said. And it was kind of like, oh, okay. So, you know, from that point on, I was saying, you just don't know how many op- more opportunities you're going to have as, as you get to a higher level, you know, these high level college programs, get into the pros, every game could be your last. That's the, that's the, the truth of it because winning starts to become crucial for the people who are, you know, in it for a business or they, it's their job, you know, things start to change as you higher levels and, uh, you come to realize that there's just not a lot of time to mess around as you get older.
0: Yeah, I mean, so how many how many years did you play as a pro? 11? 11. Now, do you feel like that went by fast or slow?
1: Uh, it went by pretty quick, actually, yeah. And you know, I sat with some regrets, to be honest with you, because think back about what you could have done differently to – uh, play at an even higher level. You know, did I dedicate myself enough? Did I train hard enough? Did I, you know, you always think about the things that you could have done more, but I guess that's just natural.
0: That's yeah, that's life. I mean, it's, you know, I I look at it as lessons, not mistakes, or, um, there are certain scenarios where you say it's the what if, right? You can what if yourself till you're blue in the face. And, uh, you know, I've had that conversation with myself with a bunch of different things. Um, But, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting to, you know, just, you know, talk to someone that's been a pro athlete for 11 years. I mean, most pro athletes, I don't know what the shelf life of a professional soccer player is, but I can't imagine it's very long. Do you happen to know? Like,
1: yeah, it's like, it's like two to three years for an MLS player as average.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's nothing. And, um, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, getting there is just one piece of the puzzle, but staying there might even be harder because now you're at a, you're in a scenario where you literally can't let off the gas pedal. And it's, um, you know, however, however people get there, maybe it's connections, maybe it's hard work, maybe it's recruiting, but getting there is just literally a piece of the puzzle. I, I see it all the time with UFC fighters. They get to the UFC and then they get their ass kicked three times and then they're done and they, they, they hang it up. And right. that's, you know, cause the difference is, is there's just levels. Like you said, even, even, um, everybody at pro soccer is good. But there's still levels. Everybody in, in MMA, they're they're good and they're gonna, they're way better than the average. But then you look at some some truly special people and you're like, oh hell man, that is just uh, that is just a different level. And I I remember experiencing that, like just even messing around with you guys, and I'm just like, oh man, like because I hate I hate losing, and I'm like. I, would, I remember leaving those sessions playing like small sided games being like, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, all right, dude, I'm like a bum strength coach that like has no business doing this, but I would still get heated. Yeah. Because, why would
1: you expect to do well is the question? I mean, because you were but, practicing so much. Yeah.
0: Well, that, but that's that is the thing, though. I, I hate losing and, and I should be losing. Right. It still doesn't register with me. I, I, it happens all the time in jiu-jitsu I'll go against my coach who's a top ranked black belt in the world. He's top 75 in the world. He will murder me multiple times. And I still leave going, I could have had him like, and there's no way in hell I would ever, I would ever have him. Right. But it's just, it's a mindset. It's like, uh, I just hate losing. And, um, and, and I think again, it's maybe it's stubbornness. Maybe I'm a little dumb. There's a slight chance that that's part of it. But I mean, it's just, uh, it's really interesting. Like, um, did, did you ever feel that way? Like, even if you were playing some of the best guys in the world that you like, I, I got them. I got them. Like, is there any instances where you played against someone that, um, like they were just, you knew that they were ridiculous, but even though maybe, maybe they get the better part of you that you were like, Oh, next time I'm going to get them. And like, I don't know. What's yeah. Like we, we
1: played against, we played against Manchester United in a, uh, a friendly at Gillette stadium, 80,000 people, you know, it was a crazy, crazy packed house, crazy atmosphere. And I played left back. I think I was like three years in the league at this point. And, uh, you know, we played against Wayne Rooney. uh, Nani, the Portuguese winger, was on my side. And this guy is just like – he's a thoroughbred, you know. It's just like a different level of – it's like he's playing a different sport than I'm playing. But at the same time, like after the game, I was just like, if I had done this or that – and the the reality of is, like, I had no chance, you know, it's like you going up against a world-class black belt. I had literally no chance, but it's like, is that hire to get back in there and test yourself against people at the highest level. And I think, you know, the second you're satisfied with where you're at is the second that you stop improving. I mean, I think that's probably why, you know, I can imagine you continue to get better at jujitsu is because you're not satisfied with where you're at. You know, it's like, over the course of my career in the MLS, I was never a guy who was comfortable with his position on the team, albeit, uh, you know, I was an all-star. I was playing every game for the team. You know, no reason, uh, if you, you know, from any other perspective, to think that I didn't belong. But I still kept that attitude that I had to prove myself as though I was trying out every day. And yeah. I think, you know, once you get comfortable in your position and get satisfied with where you're at, it's just a perfect recipe to make yourself stop improving.
0: Yeah. I always tell people, i say one of the, one of the worst things you could tell me is that I'm mediocre at something like that to me is like the worst, the worst thing you could ever say. Right. Um, but in, in the same token, going back to you saying, you played against Manchester United, Wayne Rooney, and then these guys that are like names that will go down in history. Right. And you were still like, man, I should have done this and I should have done that. But I think that's a big part of just learning and growing as a, as an individual, right. Going in there, knowing that you're, you're, it's not going to go your way. You're going to lose. But still going back and saying, I'm still going to do everything I can to get better. Um, And it's, it sucks because as a competitive individual, you know, this, like it's humbling, like no one wants to lose and no one wants to be humiliated and no one wants to get their ass kicked. But again, if, if you, all you do is win, you're not going to rise up and you're not going to get to that next level. So it's, yeah.
1: Every athlete needs those reality check moments to realize that there's other people out there doing what you're doing and more, and you can always do more. I mean, there's, like I said, there's, there's levels to this thing that when you go play against these Manchester United players, you realize that They've done everything that you've done over the course of your career times 10. And there's a reason, you know, it's not by chance that they're there. They're there because they've dedicated themselves in a way that is almost impossible to imagine. But it helps you realize that, oh, you know, this thing can be 24-7. I can be better than, you know, I can rest more. I can eat better. I can train harder. I can train more. I can, you know, and that's the level of dedication that gets you to those levels. It's not, it's not luck. It's not chance
0: what do you think, why do you think you had such a long career in the MLS? Like, what do you think it was? What traits or what practices or, you know, what do you think kept you in the league for so long?
1: I think it's a, it's a self-awareness. You know, I think it's from a soccer perspective. It's knowing what I did well and what, and basically how to mitigate my weaknesses. You know, like I, I, worked with you every single off season, trying to get faster. And there's just, you know, no matter how much running and sprint work, strength worth you and I I was never going to be one of the faster players. I just wasn't. So it's recognizing that and adapting my game, you know, giving a little bit of extra cushion to players that I knew could push it by me and run past me every time it's playing the angles. It's, you know, working on, the things I can do to mitigate my weaknesses and having that, you know, ruthlessly critical mindset about my own game and about what I need to do to stay out there. Now, I think you have to find something that, you know, I always say to young players, you have to be the best at something on the team. You don't have to be the best player on the team, but you have to bring something that no one else does. So for me, that was being left footed. That was being the best free kick taker on the team. And, you know, that was coming into every preseason. I wouldn't accept anything but being the most fit player in the team. So those were the things for me that were right away. Um, you know, I could always be sure that I had a spot in the team if I was doing those things.
0: Yeah, controlling what you can. I mean, there's only so many things you can control. And that that is a big part of it. Because, like you said, you knew you obviously had a great left foot. And from a conditioning standpoint, it – you just worked, you just worked harder than everybody else. But I mean, it's interesting because you, you even said, you like, you know, you knew that you weren't ever going to be the fastest guy, but that, that takes me into the whole sort of genetics versus hard work thing. I, I have seen some ridiculous athletes in my lifetime and, and they would do things that you just shake your head and you go, I, I can't believe that they just pulled that off. And it seemed effortless. Um, but the, the, the only problem that I see with a lot of truly gifted athletes is they rely on their gifts and that is one of the biggest mistakes i ever see because yeah you may not be the fastest guy out there but if you're you have a way bigger gas tank and you don't quit in the in the 80th minute of the game top, no one's at their top speed anymore right but if right. you can maintain that same 85% of your max effort for the duration that is where you know, your, your strength endurance comes in and your anaerobic conditioning, and we could have a big talk about that, but those are the things that people don't understand, like um, skill set, technique, all of that stuff is great, but if you don't condition your body later in the game, those attributes are not going to, they're not going to move the needle as much because let's be honest, when people are tired and their technique goes down the drain, they become mm-hmm. a different athlete in every single sport.
1: Yeah, there were so many times where I had matchups and I liken it to like, you know, talking about combat sports, you see all the time, you know, fights where it starts out and a guy is getting completely dominated, but you know that he has a game plan where if he rides out the initial, you know, firestorm, then, you know, eventually his conditioning will take over. And that translates to soccer to so, you know, there were plenty of times I was out outmatched for pace and... I knew that, especially on the we'd play on the road, and I'd play against some winger who was, and had great feet, and would take me on one on one. And you know, I always knew that this guy was gonna basically burn himself out in the first half of the game, or you know, the parts where he was feeling good. But I knew that if I just hung in there, weathered the storm, that he would lose his gas tank, and I would be able to start creeping into the game. You know, as long as I kept, you know, zero, or even if we one goal going to be in the game and that's, you know, you stay in the fight and conditioning when people start getting tired, making weird decisions, that's when goals are scored. That's when mistakes happen. So if I can be at my best at those points in the game, if I had that tank where I knew it was a crucial crunch part of the game and I still had a gas tank, that was always a huge advantage for me.
0: Did you, uh, were there ever instances where maybe you were playing against maybe a more technical player, but you could start to see, that they were starting to get tired and that actually gave you more energy and more drive to say, you know what, now's my time. Now's my time to just go murder this guy.
1: Oh, always. I mean, you'd always look for those indications when it's like, okay, you know, he's hands on knees in the 70th minute when he's, you know, been going, going, going. And, you know, I'm, you know, and you can just tell with body language all the time. You know, I'm standing up straight and he's bent over on his knees when the ball's out for a throw and you're like, I got this guy. You know, it happened all the time. That's, it's so common.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's something too. And, and going back to combat sports, um, again, I've worked with so many fighters, and it, it made me think of uh, one of my guys that's going to be fighting on May 9th, uh, Calvin Cater, which I, I haven't had the opportunity recently to work with Calvin because of this whole coronavirus, but he was fighting this guy, Chris Fishgold, and Chris Fishgold is an aggressive, really, really just high-energy guy, and this guy came out for the first two minutes and was just throwing bombs and trying to overwhelm calvin and we're just sitting there going i remember talking to the coaches saying we're going to weather the storm and then once he starts to get tired that's when calvin's going to do his thing and then, sure enough you know the guy got tired calvin just calvin's you know one two and hit him in the back of the head and knock him out and it was just like yeah. perfect example of someone that came out of the gate they tried to overwhelm someone but someone else knew that that was going to be their game plan so you have to you have to condition in a way but you also have to know how to conserve your energy and know how to use those bursts, but also know when to not use those bursts and, and use more tension or more effort and less effort. And um, the fitter you are, the more you can accomplish with less effort, if that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's uh, it's just crazy, man. It's um, the whole idea of, of conditioning and, and mindset. It's just a tool that you can, you know, that anybody can do. Like, literally, yeah. yes, there's genetics. There's going to be that guy that can just go out and run 10 miles because he can. Like, it is what it is, right? Um, yeah. But,
1: and, and the more you put in the deeper you go into the depths, the more comfortable you get with it. You know, if you've been there before, it makes it so much easier. You know, there's times in games, it's like, you know, you think you're at your max, but having trained the way I trained, I know that I have another 10% to go. And that's a big moment, especially.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, let me ask you this, looking back at your career in the MLS, what if you could have give me three things that if you could have maybe done differently or maybe changed that um looking back, like what, what are three things that you like, man, I wish I did this, I wish I did this, or and I wish I did this. And not that you made mistakes, but you know, what were some lessons that you learned?
1: I think I would have um I think I would have done more strength training. I was always focused on conditioning, just, you know, soccer naturally is, you know, conditioning's one A, you know, um, in the requirement checklist. But I think I could have done more, especially lower body strengthening. And I think I could have worked. I'm just so tight. I've always tried hard at it, you know, as a constant. Uh, battle for me to you know get hip mobility that I needed and ankle mobility and these weren't things that I really knew enough about at the time to be honest you know it's stuff that as I got older into my career and trying to figure out ways I could play longer um I started to focus on those things more but by then it was too late you know I wish I had really away at my mobility much earlier uh, to be fair to you you all had to make me do but I was, <laughs> yeah. I was not too uh <laughs> too excited to do it but yeah you know it's the stuff that it's this you know i would always work to to failure basically conditioning stuff but i didn't have that level of discipline with ability which i wish i had
0: yeah i mean it is what it is you know i think most soccer players aren't like i can't wait to lift like like that's just not what they're like wired to do um but yeah, that's interesting that you said that because I mean I remember you having some you know a couple things that you were trying to work on and, and uh, but yeah it's it's interesting to see going back that you would have spent a little bit more time on uh, on strength training and, and mobility in general. All right, so we get that one. What else? Um, and if it's only one thing, that's cool.
1: Yeah, that that's really the big one I would say. I, honestly, I think in terms of regrets, I don't really have too many. And I really emptied the tank so to speak you know I, I I honestly wasn't at the level of all these some of these other players that I've played with on Mike cheese I I can't believe I'm still doing this at this level but um so I I think I really kind of maximized potential being completely honest so yeah I think strength and error are really the two things that I had I'd I'd, I'd worked on more
0: yeah it's it's interesting that you say that because I you know I have the opportunity to work with a bunch of people and I get to teach and lecture and we have this thing that we call the optimal performance pyramid. And at the bottom of the the pyramid is just being healthy, right? Just Mm. being injury free and, and, um, just being a healthy individual. And then at, you know, above that is, is what we call movement quality, which is mobility and stability and everything that, that happens there. And then on top of that, we have our strength and conditioning. And then the last thing is, uh, is technique and and practicing your sport. And I think that people often they skip steps, right? They maybe they aren't taking care of themselves. They're not sleeping or they're eating like crap. That's the healthy component. Like, listen, if you're not getting your seven to nine hours of sleep a night, like I don't care what you say. Um, you can take all the supplements in the world, but if you're not sleeping, Mm. it's, it's absolutely useless. And and same thing, like you got to move well, you have to be resilient and then you can build everything on top. And, um, a lot of people again, it's it's an awareness thing. Like like you're saying, you're like I wish I spent more time on mobility and strength. Those are those are from a performance standpoint, they're absolutely important. But you also played to your strength, which was your conditioning. So you have to you have to do both. But your off season, if I remember, it wasn't that long, was it? It only like I feel yeah, no, like it was, it was only like eight to ten was, weeks or something.
1: Yeah, it was actually like six weeks. It was like nothing. I mean, depending on how deep our run was into the playoffs. But yeah, it was it was a limited amount of time, but I think, you know, now, and and I always trained really hard, you know, you and I trained hard, we trained really hard, but I always, I think back now and thinking that I could have done more. I could have done another session in the afternoon that wasn't necessarily as intense, but you know, I think I could have dedicated a separate period of time just to mobility, just to flexibility, you know, that I don't think would have been detrimental to my gas tank or wouldn't have, you know, not allowed me to train the next day I still would have been fine but um I, I just don't think I realized at the time how important it was especially you know as you get older th- things don't get loose as I'm sure you <laughs> you, you know you, you you tend to get wound tighter and tighter the older you get and so yeah. you know I wish I really wish I'd had that base earlier on and developed that habit earlier on because it's hard to it's hard to add new habits. The later you get in your career, you know, it's tough to come around season 11 and say all of a sudden, okay, now I'm going to dedicate X amount of time to doing mobility stuff. I mean, it just, it's, it becomes more and more difficult. I wish I had made that a habit earlier on.
0: Yeah. Well, I think also too, if you look at the amount of time you had to prepare for your next season, like we were training, I think we trained three to four days a week when I was working with you and I mean, those were hour and a half, two hour sessions, um, with, you know, prep and with strength work, power development, conditioning. So it's almost in a way like you, you had to cram a little bit. I, I liken it to my guys that are, you know, they, they signed their first UFC contract and they got six weeks and it's like, whoa, we've got six weeks and we need to do everything we can to get your performance to the highest level. And oftentimes if you're chasing performance, you, you're also leaving other things out. So it's um, it's interesting to to kind of, you know, look back and have that conversation. But you guys didn't have an off season, which kind of sucks, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah. you look at some of these other sports and they've got half the year and, you know, they finish their season in the first six weeks and eight weeks are just playing golf and hanging out. Right. Like, you guys didn't have that. No. If anything, no, there really was like,
1: wasn't much downtime. Like there wasn't, you know, I'd go on vacation for a week after the season and blow it out, but that was really it. You know, it's like it's pretty much a year round schedule. So it's, it's tough in that regard. It's a marathon too. So you don't want to, you know, cram your training periods too tight in a one portion of the year and burn out. So it's, it was a, it's a long game with that season for sure.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh it's, it's interesting to see just, you know, how people approach things and just the decisions you make and, and looking back, but it's, um, man, you, you had, a, it's, it's funny. I can't believe you played 11 years in And how many appearances did you have? Almost 400, was it?
1: Yeah, no, I think it was like 275. Oh, 275 or something. But still, that's,
0: I mean, that is, that's a a ridiculous amount of appearances playing at that high level. So kind of moving on to what you're doing today. Now, I know you work with the the revs right now and, and, you know, walk me through, you know, what your job is with the revolution uh, this day and age.
1: Yeah. So basically I'm, My title is player recruitment manager, which um, is basically an all-encompassing term for trying to bring in the best players we can to the club. So, um, you know, we do international scouting. um, We do domestic scouting for young talent that we want to get into our club as soon as possible. Uh, We started a second team that's sort of a feeder team into the first team now. So, we had to sign 15 new players for that. So, Um, basically watching a whole lot of film, traveling to watch uh, some of the top talent from around the world and around the country and seeing if we can get them to come play in New England.
0: What do you you look for when you're recruiting? Like, are there specific traits that you're looking for in these young athletes?
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, there's always an athletic base that you look for. You know, I think it, it really depends on the age of the athlete that you're recruiting. You know, you can't really get it's hard to the younger the players are the harder it is to to forecast what the path like because you know speaking from my own experience you know I didn't really fully develop until you know halfway through high school so all of a sudden I wasn't the little kid playing with the big kids anymore so it's you know hard to sometimes determine at what stage of development the kids are in that you're looking at but Yeah, there's always that, you know, having played for a long time, you recognize right away when a kid's got it in terms of technique and ability in terms of soccer skills. But, you know, then you're looking for kids with athletic potential that you can bring in and and work with on a technical level to help them improve in that way. So it's kind of a mixture of the two. And um, in terms of first team scouting, you know, you're looking for guys that are already a finished product for the most part. And the crazy thing is that's becoming at a younger and younger age across the world. So, you know, you're looking at the prime for soccer players careers being younger and, and younger these days. So you're really looking to recruit players from 18 to 23 in that age range. And, um, you know, you, you get them into their prime in their early to mid 20s.
0: Let me ask you this. Um, obviously, there's the, there's the soccer side of things, right? You want to see how well they do in the games and you want to look at how fit they are. But do you ever look at other parts of their lives or like do you look at their social media? Do you look at how they carry themselves after the game, before the game, how they interact with people? Those are the things that I think people often forget about. Like, What are the other personality traits or you know, things that you look for besides the soccer stuff?
1: Yeah, we look at all of that. I mean, I don't think kids these days realize, I mean, I won't even say kids. Kids and adults realize how heavily scrutinized their social media stuff is. I mean, I think social media is great in so many ways, but it exposes a lot of nonsense in in professional athletes these days for sure as well. Um, And just from my own personal experience, I, I think being really, really active on social media, you have to be very careful what you're putting out there. Um, and I almost feel bad for a lot of these kids. You know, it's almost more, more forgivable when you're young and, you know, your brain's not even fully developed yet, but to think that you're putting something online that's going to be there for their, for your entire high school, college, potentially pro career. I mean, that's, that's horrifying. You know, if I, if some of the things that I said when I was in high school were there forever, it would be a big problem. So <laughs> You know, I hope that young athletes are aware of, of the fact that people are looking. And we're definitely looking. But, but, yeah, to answer your question, we're looking at all of those traits. You know, I think a lot of the time the personality, the, um, the dedication, the, the attitude, the work rate of the player are all things that you find out more by meeting them and uh, looking at a lot of the things that they do outside of the field as opposed to what they do on it
0: yeah i mean i I just think of you know what I was like in my early twenties and I'm like, man, if I documented all that stuff i'd probably be in jail Oh, no um, question. i mean it's uh it's just crazy and i'm actually I'm grateful that that wasn't around because um you know I was a pretty pretty good kid I never did anything crazy, but um some of my friends did and I'm like man if we ever if we ever had you know evidence of that it uh it wouldn't be it wouldn't be good, but if you think about it like there's even research that says with males like their brains don't fully develop till they're twenty five and like now we've got these 18, 19 year old, 20 year old guys that are, you know, filled with testosterone that are documenting every single part of their lives. And I'm just sitting there going like, man, I knew I was an idiot in my early 20s. And I'm like, imagine if I had a phone, but I I just, I wish that some of these guys would, um, yeah, just, just pump the brakes a little bit, or or maybe even find a mentor. I wish someone just say to them, guys, like enough, like just, you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, highlight your whole life.
1: I know. Towards the end of my career, I became like the grumpy old veteran in the locker room who would, you know, I always had, when I first came in a locker room in New England, you know, if I had posted something on social media, which I rarely did, but, you know, when I was young, I maybe did, you know, one or two regrettable posts, I would get absolutely grilled in the locker room when I walked in, you know, the post would be up on someone's phone, the entire team of veterans would be sitting around thinking, wow, you think you're hot shit or, you know, and they would absolutely kill me for it. And th- I found that like, over the last couple of years of my career, I would try to do the same and keep some of the younger players in check. They just have no shame. I mean, like, it just seems as though there's no shame anymore in sharing every aspect of, of your life and what you ate for dinner last night and what movie you watched and and this picture of themselves with their shirt off. and it, The whole thing is just so bizarre to me, but, I don't know. I, I guess times are changing and we just have to kind of get with it.
0: Yeah. I definitely feel like uh Clint Eastwood from um, what the hell's the name of that movie where he's, he's the grumpy old man that drives <laughs> around in the truck. <laughs> yeah. What the hell's the name of that movie? I can't think. Of. You what know what I'm it? talking about, huh?
1: I do. Um, Gran Torino. Yeah.
0: That's like, I feel <laughs> like that guy, like, that's just like, you know, get off my lawn. Like, <laughs> yeah. I and, know, uh, well, I think part of it too is so growing up, I remember looking at like the older players in high school and I remember my two captains, uh, Keith Boshan and this, Adam, this kid, Adam Norco, Adam Norco was like, he, he, in my mind, he was probably like six, eight to 90, right? Like I just remember this guy being a monster and this other kid, Keith was just, this like just ripped Jack dude. And I remember being like, those guys could kill me. And like, if I, if anybody did anything out of line, like you would get your, you would get your ass kicked. I remember, like going on like runs around our campus at a uh, caught in campus. Norton high did, did not have a campus. It was, <laughs> it was old crappy fields. But I remember like when kids would cut corners, I mean, there'd be kids running and cutting a corner and then they'd come up and just like chuck them in the woods or tackle them or literally throw them on the ground and punch them a few times. Like you can't do that anymore. And, and I'm not wow. saying that that was appropriate, but there was this respect for your elders and respect for your veterans that I just, I don't see it anymore. And you see these kids that are just like, you know, act in the way that they act and you're sitting there going like, man, you, you can't even like have a little bit of discipline without people like saying, Oh, you can't talk to my kid like that, or you can't do this. It's so different. now.
1: It is. I agree. It's a weird, it's a weird time, but I think it'll shift back. You know, I think it's things get a little bit out of hand with the whole social media thing and then it kind of self-corrects after a while. So that's what I'm hoping for.
0: Awesome. Um, well, hey, listen. I'm going to ask you a few more questions, um, and then and then we're going to finish up. So, what uh, what are you missing right now during this quarantine? Like, once you can go out and and life gets back to normal, what's what's one of the first things you're going to do?
1: Wow. Uh, I'm going to go sit down at a restaurant and have dinner with a bunch of friends. I think will be the first thing. I'm with the <laughs> Anything other with other people besides. Yeah. I mean, as much as I love my beautiful wife, I've you know, we've had a lot of uh, a, lot a lot of quality, of quality time. time. A lot. Same of thing with time. my wife and I. I was at the gym
0: for eight, nine hours yesterday, and I'm like, I love you, but I got to go. And she was there all morning. Um, yeah, so definitely with friends. Um, what about foods? What do What do you miss in any restaurants? Any places locally that you're like, hey man, when I get the chance, I'm gonna go crush this. Oh man,
1: we always love. Uh, you know, it's a Boston classic, but legal seafoods is always one of our favorite spots. They got like a lobster roll, something on the water in the summer. I'm hoping that something like that will happen soon, but who knows?
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, listen, man. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Uh, It was good to catch up and and chat, but, uh, you know, we'll try to get you on here again at some point, but I, I do truly appreciate it, man. All right, Mike. Sounds good. Thanks. All right, buddy. Take care. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Mike. I just wanted to take a few moments to say thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate your support. If you did enjoy the podcast, I'm going to ask you for a couple favors. One, please share the podcast with your family, friends, and loved ones. Two, please give us a positive review in the App Store. Thanks so much. Be safe and God bless.